Hi, everybody. Welcome to What's the Hazard? This is Doug Fletcher with Fletcher Safety, and this is our podcast for safety professionals, brought to you by safety professionals. Got another safety professional in the studio today. This is Jeff Springer with PMG Marketing. Uh, Jeff is our, I think we, we uh, Jeff's been on before. Thanks for coming back, man. Absolutely. And uh, Jeff is our resident fall protection expert, uh, among other things. He's an expert in a number of different things, but I think he's best known in this region for his fall protection expertise and the assistance he gives all of us with that. So we are going to talk about fall protection today. And uh, man, this is a subject we could probably spend multiple episodes on, but we're going to get it started today. Uh, I do want to start off with one observation, though. Um, we are we are broadcasting from Omaha, Nebraska. The, the program is actually taped in Omaha, Nebraska at Parkville Media. And um, the Omaha area office has been without an area director for a few weeks, uh, maybe months now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually gone quickly. But Jeff Funk, the former area director here, has since moved on and taken a position with NIOSH out in West Virginia. Uh, he's the head of the FACE program, actually, which is that fatality investigation program. Uh, excellent program, and I think Jeff's doing well out there. I've heard from him a few times. We have a new area director uh, in the Omaha area office. Matt Thurlby was just selected a day or two ago as the next area director for uh, the Omaha area office. So uh, I want to congratulate Matt. Um, I was thrilled to hear that it was one of the internal guys. You know, there were really uh, three people eligible for the job in Omaha. Darwin Craig, who's been there for, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years, something like that. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how long Darwin has been there. Scott Jacobson, who was also uh, a GS-13, so this is just a, you know, a, a grade-type promotion. So anyone that was in the, the uh, grade immediately below was eligible. So Darwin, Scott, and then Matt Thurlby. So the three of those guys were all eligible. I'm sure they all applied, and they would all have been excellent ADs. Uh, but Matt got the job, and, and I am really excited about that, man. I just, I just had this fear that they were going to give it to an outsider. Mm. And I, I just really, I don't know, I just really think that um, so much of how the office works um, is based on that, that attitude and that experience. And, you know, Matt has been in the office for 20 years probably, and he knows Nebraska. He knows the employers around here, the good and the bad. Uh, he knows those of us that are, you know, serving the mission, you know. And um, so I think that's a good thing, man. I know you know Matt, and um, I think that's really good. So, yeah, um, good for him. I did not, I did not know just, that. He just, called, he just let me know great. yesterday. Just found out yesterday. So that is brand new. I think he actually assumes the position, if I can say that. Maybe that's not the right phraseology, but he uh, <laughs> takes over on Monday, actually. So maybe assume the position is the right description of what's, you know, that job is a very difficult job, man. Probably be a great idea to get him on a podcast. I, I have asked. I have made a request, a formal request to the regional office. Um, you know, the deputy, Bonita Winningham, is a friend of mine, and I used to work for Bonita, as you know, and uh, she was the area director here for many, many years. And I have requested um, permission from the region to have someone from the OSHA area office come and speak with us. I, I just thought, if nothing else, just to convey, you know, what they're, they're promoting, what types of emphasis programs they're working, you know, inspection programs, things like that, maybe even answer a few questions. I know they're always a little bit 
skeptical about that. You know, there is a public affairs office for OSHA that typically handles some of those things. So I, I think yeah. Bonita was going to entertain that idea and consider how that, if it'd be uh, possible to do. I hope so. Yeah, I think it'd be I'd, very so. positive. And I think a lot of people just need to know these are real people. Well, yeah. They, and they and most, you know, and they, they want to help companies. and. Yeah. I think it's important for them to get in the yeah, field. I think I think so too, and it's always good when they're out in public and they're interacting with the public, getting to know everyone. So, um, I guess this is an opportunity for everyone that that hears this to, um, you know, make contact with Matt, congratulate Matt, mm -hmm. and uh, we look forward to working with him. So uh, that, that's sure. a good thing, man. Um, that, that's it from observations. I don't have anything else to throw out there. Anything anything new that you need to throw out, or should we just get into the fall protection? Yeah, let's dive into it. All right, man. Well. The, the backstory is you've been doing this for a long, long time, right? 25 years or something in this. Yeah, since 96 safety-wise, but really focused on fall protection since 07. Okay. When I came to work for Mark Damon. Oh, yeah. Um, started PMG, and he's he was in fall protection. I would assume into the 80s is probably when he... Cut his teeth into it. And then Jay Petrie also. Mm -hmm. So I learned from those guys wow. and was very intimidating going to work for the guys that know that much about a oh, subject yeah. matter. But they basically you, wrote the subject matter. Yeah, Damon did. Damon was on committees and was, um, was and still is. He still mm -hmm. does lots of competent person trainings and anything to do. You know, I think it's hard once you're in, like we know, Doug, to to get out i mean and you want it's not like you can't like some yeah, jobs no, he's, he's, you retire and you never out. talk to the people again that's right. not i don't think that will be like that no i don't think that's possible you know it's a community and we want to make sure that 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 continues yeah no doubt so, well, so yeah tell me about how this has kind of evolved over the you know i've got some questions for you but but just fall protection in general and the, the attitude toward it the approach toward fall protection i mean it has changed significantly probably just in the time that you've been in this field yeah, and since 07, you know, it. I don't know how dramatic I would say in that in that 12 years, it it's changed a lot. But prior to that, I think when I started in this industry, oh my gosh, people, it was all about what do I need to do to comply with OSHA, and that was mm -hmm. even after 07. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just thought that's how it is. So that's how I help people, and mm -hmm. it didn't seem like many were interested in going above and beyond that. Right. Um, that in the last 12 years has changed dramatically. I, oh, I would have said the cutoff point for safety for compliance, just, you know, focusing on OSHA regulations versus safety for safety, that probably seven, eight years ago. Really? It really kind of turned into that. Um, and, you know, and I think it's, it's a culture. Um, and it's the buy-in from upper management and from insurance companies. And it's not, mm -hmm. it was all based on, oh no, OSHA is going to see me or OSHA could come in and do an investigation. And now, yes, that is possible. But that's, I, in my mind, that's a drop in the bucket mm -hmm. where we're talking yeah. about people, there could be lawsuits and insurance companies dropping you and you not being able to bid on a job because right. of your rates. Maybe and I don't know all the, yeah. EMR or something is too high or whatever that might be. Yeah. And a matter of fact, I did a, uh, uh, just got off of a two day competent person training for fall protection here in Omaha. And, you know, they were talking about things like that. I, I wanted to, you know, not just go off PowerPoints and wanted to get in their heads and, and 
find out how this all works and what their issues were and stuff. And, and that's, that's the reality of it. Like we were talking about before we started this, this VP of human resources, the, how in depth um, he cares yeah, about these employees. Yeah, yeah getting mm-hmm. back to yeah. To our work. last episode when we were talking about post injury care of employees and um, you know how so far beyond you know what they do is just well beyond what I've seen typically. You know, and it's good to hear though that uh, it's not just about being compliant because you know as we know that's a low bar. You know, mm-hmm. I mean compliance is the is the minimum. Uh, I guess I guess OSHA has established for us the maximum level of risk we are allowed to take by law, but that doesn't always cut it, man. As you and I both know, so I'm glad to hear you say that. Well, you think about all those standards; they were written back in the early '70s, mm-hmm. and and some have been updated. But then they're also, and I don't know that I'd say they're vague because that's not true. In some cases, it is. It just doesn't give the details, which maybe it can't because it's, uh, you know, a uh, horizontal standard as opposed to the details of I mean when when you get into you know the specifics on scaffolding like we looked at that yesterday oh my gosh it is very very detailed it is um ladders some details but kind of vague fall mm-hmm. protection mm-hmm. it's just it's all look at I mean since 07 the changes that have come about so I always said that to people and I haven't said that in a long time but I always you know kind of put you know my hand down by my knee and said this, these are OSHA standards. They're very basic. Mm-hmm. If I could rewrite them, it would be a lot more details, and people yeah. would hate that. Yeah. And then you've got the ANSI standards, which have a little more meat on the mm-hmm. bones and details, and they change more often. And then it's just common practice and, and what our company's doing. And that's what you're seeing. These companies are, um, you know, it's like a, it's, I don't want to compare it to a race, but it's like people racing, and you, and you have to keep up because now – Things are moving so quickly. They do. That if you don't, if you decide, hey, we're going to, you know, not do anything to improve our fall protection program for um, a couple years. We got other things to focus on. Man, in two years, you would fall so far behind other companies. Absolutely. There's so many things that have happened. You know, I think when I came into this and really started focusing my time in it in 07, it was all about give me a harness and a lanyard and I'll tie off to whatever's available. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> So the whole harness thing, there's been amazing harnesses with great features that are uh, very comfortable, very easy to adjust. So, I mean, that that was the mm-hmm. easiest, you know, low-hanging fruit. But beyond that, it was, then it went to lanyards. And, you know, I wondered when I started this, why are people using lanyards? They don't have clearance. And educating, once I, you know, we start educating, and the big thing then, man, we did drop tests from, you know, our trucks, the back oh, of our trucks man. with the, you know, 220-pound mm-hmm. weight. We were doing those three, four times a day, running from job site to job mm-hmm. site doing it. Uh, we still do them, but it's not as much as we were then. And when you'd show that to people, and then all the employees would go, why are you giving us this? And I had to explain to them, this is just how it is. This mm-hmm. is just, this was, you know, the evolution of fall protection. But then it slowly started going to the point of let's get them into the right equipment, which is a self-retracting lifeliner. In the sure. construction industry, they call them yo-yos. Right. Um, and now from there, we've seen even further developments with everybody was over maybe a three-year period going from lanyards to self-retracting lifelines. And then, you know, a lot of these companies are, hey, you know, I switched, this is great. And I'm like, 
but do you have the right one? And they're like, what do you mean the right one? It's an SRL. I'm like, there's different SRLs. And some of the classes have changed. So it really was probably prior to even 2010, it was it was just cl- class B, which is a standard SRL. Okay. You can go up to 54 inches, the deceleration distance. You know, those stop just like your seatbelt, right? So when you fall, that brake's got to catch on to, you know, engage and stop that cable from paying out. And then there could be a shock absorber. Okay. So what, what is said is you could go as far as um, 54 inches. So... So that would be your maximum fall distance from the yes. time that you fell to the time that it arrested your fall. Yes. 54 inches. So with okay. lanyards, the, the big, I would say, issue with them is the free fall. You have mm-hmm. six-foot free fall. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And with the self-retracting lifeline, there's zero free fall. It's all deceleration distance. So you're okay. eliminating a solid six-foot of your fall. Yeah. And, you know, you, you look at everybody, like I always say, right now in the United States – Every employee that's wearing a lanyard, if they all fell right now, what would be the survival rate and the mm-hmm. injury rate after that? Right. How many people have the clearance need necessary? Right. Miscalculate that fall distance or that fall clearance. Uh, in my experience, I think that is a common error that you just assume that now that I've got an anchorage and I've got a lanyard attached to my harness, I am safe and Gosh, you can even just look at some of them and sometimes know that's not going to work. Yeah, and some uh, are trickier just, than others, but that was brought up, and I've said this for years. Um, one of the guys in the competent person class said, um, people kind of have a false sense of security. And I kind of, when he said that, he smiled, was that's one of the things that I've said for a long time. You know, you think about that. You go to work, and these, I, I don't know what's, I assume what's going through somebody that, heads to a job site is I've got this to do today and they're distracted with, you know, personal lives and other things, but you know, here's your harness, here's your lanyard, or here's your connecting device. And you just assume they did all the math. They did, they figured everything. And right. um, yeah, I think I'm supposed to inspect it or something and do this and not do this with it. But there, I don't know that a whole lot of thought is going into it. Right. Right. And that's why I know that, yeah, that really is still something that uh, I don't know if scares me is the right description of that, but I'm just I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah, no, that, it, it, and I've got clients that use fall protection all the time, and you know we we do our best to try to make those evaluations, and when it, when it's too challenging, we send them to you. I mean, those kind of things, you know. But uh, they're making those decisions every day, and I agree with you. I'm not sure that they're really giving it the thought that it requires to be doing that correctly that's that's a that's a lot the good news is it's gotten better i mean so so you said class b that's a class b lanyard that 54 inch class class b self-retracting lifeline yes srl okay so there's so there's others so so there's four there's four classes that start you know with all the ones and they weren't even called that years ago i don't know when honestly i don't know the the date when that came about okay but um so class B is anything um, kind of the older style, anything that you could go up to 54 inches deceleration distance. Class A is 24 inches or less. Oh, okay. So like I did a drop test yesterday, in the back of my van with a 220 pound weight, a class A little six foot web SRL, and it went 18 inches, 20 inches. I mean, nice. it locked up 
that quickly. And now we're getting calls from people saying, hey, my guy took a fall on a course. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Is, mm-hmm. is he okay? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, he didn't even fall out of scissor lift. It scared him, as yeah. it would anybody, because yeah. your mind says, oh, my gosh, terrible things could happen right now. Mm-hmm. So, so you got the Class B, the Class A. Leading edge is another huge mm-hmm. transition that companies are going through right now with, you know, education and and then also the rescue. So there's an SRL specifically for that leading edge work? Yes. Is it designed then to be more uh, durable? Is it, so if it's, if it's running over that leading edge, if it happens to be iron or something, you know, steel or uh, decking or something, it's not going to cut? Or what, what's the yeah, difference? Yeah, so the big that? thing are is... longer? So you take a, a stand, a class B or class A or even one of these rescue ones, and mm-hmm. if you were to fall over an edge, so then you have a free fall. Mm-hmm. So if I'm standing on a surface and I fall, basically to the middle of my back, it's five mm-hmm. foot. Mm-hmm. So I'd have free fall five foot. I'm building up that momentum, and then that cable hits that um, I beam, concrete, mm-hmm. metal deck, whatever it is. It's not designed to hold. Right. So using the wrong one is... So there is one specifically for that It's purpose. been tested and okay. approved. Matter of fact, I was talking about this in the class, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Um, we had a big meeting years ago with all the railroads met up mm-hmm. at, at the manufacturers and um, did some training and talked to them about product and their needs. What do you guys need? And they said, you know, one of our big needs is... We're working on bridges. Mm. The only thing to tie off to, and I don't know, I think it was more, you know, a bridge to go over, not any structure above. Mm -hmm. So we need to tie off to the rail, and we have an anchor for that that Mm -hmm. that clasps onto the rail. Okay. Um, Which is kind of scary. You got to be careful with the train coming. No doubt. (laughs) Better watch out where you're at. But, um, you know, leading edge. So if you fell, you're going to hit, you could, you know, it's going to come in contact with something. So developing leading edge SRLs took forever. And you think, oh, what is that cable made out of titanium Mm -hmm. or some crazy new, you know, not galvanized or stainless steel material. And Doug, at at the end of the day, when they finally figured it out and and got them to pass, it was was about dissipating that force with a shock pack. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just that design because of that, that, um, dynamic force of a fall and then it comes that cable comes in contact we've got to dissipate some of that force otherwise too much force it's just going to break okay gotcha you yeah. wear if you are wearing a class a class b or a rescue srl and it goes over that edge it's not designed if it holds it's your lucky day yeah okay and i know i've i i've heard of stories actually one was pretty recent somebody fell um with the class B and it didn't break. And I had heard that the company basically said, see, you guys are just trying to sell us something that, Oh, we really? oh my gosh. Oh, just count your blessings and then buy the right one. You know, th- that's what it's all about. And all of the stuff that is made is over-engineered. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the forces of a fall, you're doing everything correctly. Mm-hmm. You're going to get, you know, eight, 900 pounds of force hitting your body and your anchor, then why do you need a 5,000 pound anchor? It's all over-engineered, but it's, you know, it's there for safety and it's there for what if you were doing something a little wrong? Sure. Well, this is still going to work. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, just, you know, I mean, that's true of so many different things and, and appropriately so. I think, you know, I, I tell people all the time about like machine guarding, 
you know, you don't guard the machine specifically for when everything is going right. You know, when, when the machine is functioning properly and you are on your game and you're focused and you're working properly, we guard the machine for those occasions where we, when, where we uh, get distracted and when you reach into a piece of equipment or something like that. I mean, same is true for fall protection. When everything is going well, you can probably work without it, you know I mean? But those, but we can't, we can't count on that to be the case. I mean, you know, we need to plan for those, those uh, outliers or those events that we don't anticipate or are they're not, you know, that's a good they're point. Not typical, you know? And so we're preparing ourselves for those events oftentimes. And so, yeah, it seems like overkill from time to time. I know mm-hmm. guys complain about fall protection to this day. They still kind of complain about having to use it, but it's and the reality is you don't really need it when things are going right and when you're focused and you're on your game and mm-hmm. the weather's great and everything is going smoothly. But man, that on that one occasion, I was watching. I shouldn't be probably saying this, but there's a house being built across the street from my home. Okay, and I get up and I watch those guys framing that house every day, and um, mm. they do some things well and other things incorrectly from a safety standpoint, you know. But this morning they had just sheathed the roof yesterday and this morning was cold a little frosty and the guy was getting ready to get up on the roof and i was like dude you, it's gonna be slick okay you you, you got to be careful up there use some fall protection man and i i am not a preachy guy i don't drive around the city trying to you know intervene yeah you know if i see something horrible i my conscience is still pretty you know i say something but i was these guys are right across the street from me every day i see these guys and he was about to get up on this roof that looked slick. Everything was slick this morning, you know. And so I just like I had to say something. Look, man, you got to put on fall protection to be on that roof. You probably shouldn't even be on there until the sun comes out and you know warms it up a little bit. But so you walked over there and talked to him. Uh, I talked to him all the time. My dog barks at him. You know? <laughs> so I, I was I'm walking my dog in the morning, drinking my coffee, and my dog barks at the guys across the street. And but I talked to him. I, I've I've talked to them, you know, uh, houses being built in my neighborhood. You just can't help but stop and watch if you are, certainly if you're in our profession, man, you know, I mean, so I do say things from time to time. So you think about that, going back to the point of, you know, what does he think? Oh, he's, I got a job to do and Mm -hmm. A, it's Friday. Mm -hmm. And if I can get this done, the boss said to get this, you know, the sheathings on and do this. If I get to this point, I'm done. And that's going to be three o'clock or four thirty, and three o'clock's a lot better than four thirty yeah, on no, a Friday on a Friday. Exactly. And that, that's a really good point. And these are things that Doug, I, I don't, I, we don't think about until somebody says it, like you just brought up that that's why a machine, you know, machine guards are there in place. Yeah, or, most of the stuff is not for when things are going right. No, it's for when things go wrong and they do. Cause you know. you know, you think it is, it's, it's human nature. So why would I, when I'm on this big, you know, press break and I know that it could chop my fingers off and Mm -hmm. then some, why would I reach in there? I wouldn't, Mm -hmm, but what happens is something, I do something and something falls in there and human nature is to grab that all the time. You know, you, you're, you have something, if I had something in my hand right now and I dropped it, I'm going to try to catch it. It's a reflex. You don't control it. It's not a, I don't think it's an actual thought process. It is just a (laughs) reflex and that happens all the time. I mean, it happens to you and me. We probably, I, I was, you know, working in the kitchen and I, I dropped a knife and reached for it and thought, well, you know, you know, after the fact you think, well, that was stupid, but not during the event, you don't. But it's a 10th of a second. It. You had a 10th yeah, of a just, second to make a decision and 
who yeah. who wouldn't have done that? And if you yeah. can stop yourself in that amount of time, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, I I know these guys. They can work at elevation time after time after time without having an incident, right up until the time where they have an incident. You know. Yeah, and you know what? I don't have. We, I don't know if we've talked about this. So I'm glad that you just said it's an incident because it's it's not an accident, and that's what all I think a lot of us in safety are talking about right now. Accidents are preventable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're planning for the job, you know, providing the right tools, giving the training to the employees and, and taking a step back, just go a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. And that came up to the whole, we have to, this guy's got to get this roof done. Mm-hmm. He can't, it just doesn't work. That's like me, you know, somebody, I have to go do a training and there's a snowflake falling and I cancel the training. Not over one snow, but I mean, if it's a blizzard, mm-hmm. I, it's, right. I'm, I'm going to tap out. <laughs> Me too. Old Jeff wouldn't have. Oh, and I've got uh, major, we could do a whole podcast on my stories of on the road oh, and ridiculous. sliding I, sideways in my work vehicle. Yeah, we did that too. Yeah. But um, yeah, we get older and wiser. Well, let me ask you some questions, man. Okay. Um, all these different SRLs, that's really interesting to me because I knew there were differences in the SRLs. I, I didn't know specifically what those were. I'm sure that those are detailed in the ANSI standards. They are, yep. If people wanted to know more about that specifically yes. or or whomever their vendor is, I'm sure could explain those to them as well. But uh, what, are, what kind of common mistakes are you seeing out there while you're out there providing this service and this training and information? I was at a place not too long ago where they had a – they were accessing tanker cars, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and they have an SRL, one of the big ones, uh, anchored to a beam in the in the ceiling. And the individual that mounted the car put on his harness, and he, but he had a one of those little yo-yos attached to his harness. Yep. And then clip that to the other yo-yo. Can you, you can't have two yo-yos connected, can you? No, no, Under no, any no, circumstances, no, no. are there two yo-yos Never. together? I, I didn't think so. I, I thought that every now and then, we, I think I, I, we all question, you know, when, when we talked about this podcast in the beginning, we talked about the value of affirmation, that occasionally we just need somebody to affirm for us that we're on the right track. I was looking at this thinking there is something wrong with that. That that is not okay. And so I said something to the, the, the gentleman that, you know, that needs to be attached directly to the D-ring on the on the uh, harness. You can't go yo-yo to yo-yo. Yes, yeah. But that doesn't seem to be terribly uncommon. You know, and I, I guess maybe it, that was just me. I just No, and I I it, it, things have gotten better over there. There's they're not taking anything away, but hearing these the reality of what is still happening out there mm-hmm. um, is it, it shouldn't be shocking because you know what? I do the same thing. What if I didn't have all this knowledge? I don't, mm-hmm. I have knowledge yeah. on this and nothing else. Well, you've spent your whole life on this. Well, you, you know what I'm saying though? Sure. I mean, there could be, you know, things that I can do around my house and things that I can't, sure. things and that I automatically that. tap out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, and for, Who's going to question that? I mean, you did because you know. Yeah, I know enough to know that that something looked wrong about yes. that. But again, I'm not a fall protection expert. I'm a generalist on just about everything that I deal with. You know, and for somebody like me, I mean, you could you could look that up and see it mm-hmm. somewhere. But you, man, you might look through because in the manual it does say, but does it say specifically that you can't 
put two connectors together. I don't know. It it talks about that, and you could read through the lines on some sure. of it, but there's there's a lot of confusion. There's yeah. misunderstandings, and there's just assumptions, or you know what, I'm connected. Right. Well, I think that's it. I think there's still a lot of that. I, as you said in the beginning, um, I have a harness on. I am connected to something. Everything is copacetic. Life is you good. Know, I, I just think that still exists to a large extent. That you know, my mind. You know, once I've made that association, harness, lanyard, connection, I'm done. And we try to tell people, keep it simple, A, B, C, D. So anchor, you're anchored to something. You have your body support on. Connecting device, one, not two. Just like the anchor, one person on it, not two. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. And then D is descent and rescue. So having a rescue plan. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, that in that case, that that gentleman should not have had to didn't need two SRLs. Yeah, he didn't he, need so two. basically, didn't need the personal one. Yeah, that little one on one. his back, yeah. on his uh, on the back of his D ring there. Yeah, and I think that was just hung on there. He probably didn't even think about it. He just made the connection. And it might have been yeah. an ease thing. Well, think about that's the other. That is, I, I'll bet you I know why he did that. Think about grabbing that. You know, the tagline, the rope, pulling it mm-hmm. down, taking that snap hook, connecting it to your back mm-hmm. D-ring that's in between your shoulder blades. Right. That's not easy. That's not to easy do. to do. Right. That's a good point. So a lot of people have those 18-inch extenders on their back, and then it's, on, you know, on their shoulder, and then you can connect connect to it. Um, so I'm sure that's probably, that's probably why. probably what it was serving. He, he believed it was a connector. It was serving that purpose. But that additional yo-yo in there. It would just seem to be. It would throw off the dynamics of that arrest if it, you know, if, it would. If both of those yo-yos have to engage based on a certain amount of force, and that that would be kind of an, an issue. So bad things could happen, and, yeah. and if something bad did happen, and I, you know, went in, and whether the safety person or somebody else said, "Hey, what went wrong? We were connected." Right. I'd be like, "Oh my gosh!" Mm-hmm. So that's why all the, there's all these layers. There's that layer of the user. Then there's, you know, supervisors mm-hmm. would probably be the next level up or even fellow employees mm-hmm. that but maybe might, have yeah. some knowledge, exactly. weren't sleeping during training or learned right. something from another job. Then you'd have supervisors and then the safety person, which yeah. is typically a competent person. And then insurance companies, consultants mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you, uh, manufacturer reps like me. Right. And right. it's like, that's, that's... And hopefully we catch it. Hopefully with all of those people looking, we catch those things. And Doug, this is huge. I mean, this community and, you know, the friendship, even the people that went through the class over the last mm-hmm. couple of days, or even the one I did in January, I'm friends with them. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. th- there was a, f- you know, when there's a few new faces, I get to know them and I express to them, um, I'm here. And then I know all these people, we have a group that meets, mm-hmm. I invite them to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, join oh, good. in. Good. Because it's a partnership, all of us working together yeah. to make sure that people aren't doing well, stuff there, like that. It just goes to show there is so much to know. It's just inconceivable that any one person can know and understand all this stuff. And so, uh, man, it really has to be done kind of in uh, you know cooperation with other people. I mean, so you think about that. Like if you start asking me questions about Arc Flash, I'd get uncomfortable two minutes into it because I don't have that. Ruben, yeah, everybody call, knows yeah, Ruben's Ruben the guy. Or call Mark McClure or somebody. Or Mark, yes. But yeah, exactly. And or, that's kind of the point, I guess, man, is that you know we all just kind of tap into each other's expertise when we need it. So yeah. on that same point, problems. So I see issues with, um, and the OSHA standards are, this interesting because 
I think I had this conversation with Ruben recently. There is a, it's common for general contractors, some general contractors or some host facilities, you know, maybe they have a large project, a large scale project under underway on their site um, to set their own rules. Okay. Kind of the above and beyond approach. I know they do this up in Car- at Cargill in Blair. They have been one who's who's been known for doing this. There are the rules, the OSHA regulations, you know, the minimums, mm-hmm. and then some of these very proactive uh, host facilities or GCs will set a higher standard, which is perfectly acceptable. Um, OSHA allows you to go beyond their requirements. You certainly can't be be more lenient than their requirements, but you can go beyond. But I think that introduces an element of confusion into the workforce Mm. where they are going from job to job or project to project and the rules are different. And now I just, I was just reading, you know, OSHA subpart D, you know, the fall protection stuff in general industry, 1910, 28, 29, 30, those things versus subpart M in construction, the, you know, the 500 series, Mm -hmm. um, there are some differences. I was looking at one of the things that I think is really abused or misunderstood maybe is a better description is um, warning lines. I see warning lines strung up kind of haphazardly on every flat roof that you drive, every commercial project you drive by. There's some warning line crap on the roof that, you know, sometimes it looks good. You can see it from this window, actually, yeah. as we look out across the street. Sometimes it looks right. Sometimes it looks horrible. I don't think people really understand it. And then when you look at the warning line discussion in construction, you know, the the six feet, 15 feet discussion, in general industry, there is also a six foot, 15 foot discussion, and it's different. You know, they're talking, you know, rather than roofing and non-roofing activities in construction, in general industry, they're talking about temporary infrequent activities versus regular activities and establishing these, dis- I mean, it's just confusing, man, you know? Yeah, and you know, I never thought about it like that. I mean, minus, you know, we were talking yesterday, one of the guys says, I'm black and white, and I'm like, that's not good. Well, it's a gray yeah, world that we live in. It is a gray in. world, no doubt. And this, I, I can see how people are confused, and I, I, think, I think that, you know, we need to make it, Make it easier, but Doug, I don't know how we do that because if we're just going to stick to the OSHA regulations, people are going to get hurt. Well, I think you touched on it when you first started your dis- discussion. You were talking about basically the a difference between performance standards and prescriptive standards. A performance standard would just say, "Hey, protect your employee." You know, if you're above six feet or you're above four feet, whatever the case might be, protect your employee from falls. A prescriptive standard is going to say you must do this, 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 and this. I, I like the performance approach where, you know, when you've got employees exposed to a fall, you're above six feet, you figure out a way to protect them. You know, and as you said, that that is not black and white necessarily. That mm-hmm. that, that is, these are problem-solving skills. And, and, you know, you just got done teaching a competent person training class, a two-day class. I'm sure the intent is to equip someone to actually solve problems. Not just to say the rule says six feet, you must have this, you must do that. It's not how it works. You know, you're, we're there, these guys are going to have to be equipped to look at these situations and make determinations based on those specific issues and address falls. In some, and so mm-hmm. I think a performance approach 
You know, let's just eliminate the falls. Let's protect our employees. Utilize the different tools we have available to us and make that happen. So, and you know, you're starting to see that. First off, um, who thinks, whoever thinks of the hierarchy of fall protection? Fall protection is what a harness and a lanyard, a harness and a connecting device. Now I should start saying a harness and an SRL. Lanyards are being phased out. Mm-hmm. Um, you are you're seeing the the front end of that next stage though because. Now you go to these job sites and you may even say, that guy doesn't even have anything on. Mm-hmm. There's guardrails mm-hmm. on every level. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a large contractor. So, yeah. so talk about that a little bit, the hierarchy of fall protection. So the first, um, eliminate the fall. Mm-hmm. In construction, that is very difficult. Not they're they're possible, building right. a structure. Right. In some other industries, it is possible to eliminate. Why are we go, Why do we have to go up on that roof all the time? Mm-hmm. Or why do we need to climb up on cable trays and, and you know, maneuver around, you know, to fix mm-hmm. this motor? Can we get a motor that's maintenance-free? Or, right. Or, so, or at least valves or switches or something that are at ground level so we don't have to mount equipment, perhaps, or whatever that might be. That's, yeah. Just so eliminate that. So that's try, try to say, is there any way to eliminate that guy from going up there? Mm-hmm. And not doing that alone in a room. You're doing that in a group and brainstorming because right. you need somebody to think outside of the box. Then you would go... To prevention. Okay. So let's prevent the fall. So you're you're basically, I'm going to still go up there, but I'm going to eliminate, put a barrier up. So guardrails, Mm -hmm. nets, Mm -hmm. um, and then. But that's passive. It does not require the employee to do anything, right? The fall protection is in place. Very good point. Okay. So that's more of a passive system. Doesn't so, require me to do anything. Which is much, you know, it's higher on the hierarchy, and you're absolutely right. If somebody, like, walking, working surface right now, you look at all these roofs with AC units, and people are up on these mm-hmm. roofs walking around like they always have, mm-hmm. there has to be something in place. And, of course, OSHA, you know, says personal fall rest system, right. guardrails, restraints, or nets. Well, first off, people aren't going to yeah. implement nets. Nets have a very niche... I've seen nets maybe two or three times in my entire 30-year career. I mean, For it's just, fall arrest or for debris? Because you see debris nets all the time. Well, yeah, okay. Stop, uh, for, like a for, snow for fence fall. Yeah, thing. for fall arrest. Yeah. But nets to catch somebody, it is not, not common, common at all. Not maybe common. Bridge over work maybe or bridge something. Bridge work? The really, I think when they built the first national tower, you know, downtown Omaha, that 44-story building, I think that Kiwit utilized nets around the perimeter of the building. It may have been for catching debris, frankly, now that you or both. that. Yeah, it could have been both. Or it could have been a kind of a secondary fall arrest or fall protection system. I think they had cable guardrails up everywhere, of course, and I don't, you know, it was a pretty tight job, but they did have nets around the perimeter of that job. So, I mean, look, we could be in here for four or five hours just digging through this, and you're, it, it is, it's confusing to people. Mm-hmm. But just having this discussion and saying, you know, here's the hierarchy and, and getting to your point on the passive, I put guardrails up. Mm-hmm. It's pa- You don't have to do anything. What's the training? Yeah. Um, right. You know, be careful when you do get close so you don't, right. because of course you could fall through or sure, fall don't over. lean over the guardrails. Yeah, maybe something, or something exactly. Just very basic. Mm-hmm. But if it's a personal fall arrest, oh my God, you have to inspect. All your equipment, you have to have the right equipment. You have right. to be using it properly. There's a lot more to it. A lot more. And as it. I would go down the line of all that stuff, it's like tap out, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Okay, then go to guardrails. Yeah. Or these these clients that say, what are our options? And we give them both. 
and say that guardrails even cost more. Um, but here's the benefit. Yeah. It's passive. Yeah, Your employees don't have or, to do anything because right. the other aspect of that is rescue. So somebody does fall over oh a gosh. roof. It's one thing. Even somebody fell over here. I mean, we're doing this and somebody falls off that building. It, it, they're not very high off the ground, but how are we going to get them down? So What is that called? What is that trauma called when you're hanging? Orthostatic intolerance. Oh, there you go. Man, we yeah, had. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Orthostatic intolerance. Man, this we, is the hanging trauma. <clears throat> so yes. if you've taken a fall and you're in your system and it's done its job, you are suspended by your lanyard. You know? Yeah, you're in motionless suspension. I mean, yeah. it, and then it's called venous pooling of the, okay. the the blood. We man, we had an amazing conversation. We had a um, I don't medic or paramedic mm -hmm. in the class, mm -hmm. so I loved it because I have all these you know great hypovolemic shock and you know, all this other stuff that we were talking about. And then I kept referring to her like, hey, this is right, you know, mm -hmm. in my PowerPoint. And the things that she was saying, nobody would think about this. So you fall and I'm hanging there and you're like, okay, get me down. Mm -hmm. I'm in a little bit of pain. Right. Hopefully my leg straps were, were tight. Otherwise I'm in major pain. Oh, yeah. no and something doubt. terrible just happened. But, you know, every minute that goes by, blood is going down into your legs there's, there's typically two pints down there. Mm -hmm. Well, then it becomes two and a half and three and three and a half. There's a one-way valve. The only way blood comes back up to your, your major organs mm -hmm. is if your muscles are contracting in your legs. Mm -hmm. How can you do that if you're just hanging there? You, you, you can't. can't. No. Shaking your legs, that isn't contracting your right. muscles. That's just looking stupid. Right, right. Um, and as a matter of fact, I used to say that. You know, you got to shake your legs and move them and... That was the whole thing yesterday. But it's not really creating that pumping effect that you need, apparently. You have to. Yeah, you have to. So they say even putting one foot out and then putting the other one on it and kind of like arching it, and you can feel most of it mm -hmm. say, oh, yeah, man, I feel that in my calf. That's con contracting mm -hmm. that muscle. But the bad things, um, what is it, pulmonary embolism, mm -hmm. the, you know, blood clots, respiratory issues, kidney issues, you know, there's trauma that you could have taken from the fall that um, we hear about mm. with people years after that. Wow. So a lot of people, you, you say all this to, and they're like, man, I'm going to work safer because I don't want to fall. It literally changes well, your life yeah, forever. People need to hear that. Um, I think that, you know, the rescue side of things is often overlooked. If not overlooked, it's really minimized. Well, we'll just get a ladder over there. I mean... You know, I, I just don't think it's quite as easy as people envision it's going to be. We're going to run a lift over there, or we're going to bring a ladder over there, or we're going to haul them back up or something, or whatever that might be. Whatever your plan is, um, that has to be really well thought out. I don't. It's not as easy to move someone. I can remember many, many years ago, I was, I was with the Department of Defense, and we were doing a confined space entry rescue drill. You know, there's a requirement to do annual drills in confined spaces, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had an on-site fire department at this DOD facility where I was where I was um, stationed. And so we just did a mock rescue uh, with the fire department. They were our rescue team. They were on-site. They were always available. So they were the rescue designated rescue team. And I think we, we nearly dropped about three firemen just – in this drill scenario where we're trying to rescue someone from a confined space 
in a drill. I, we had firemen breaking their fingers. We had firemen throw their back. I mean, trying to get this person out. Wow. And, and it was a realistic scenario. I mean, we hadn't created anything that wasn't potentially going to happen on this site, you know. And uh, it was really difficult for them. And these are, you know, young, strong guys. I mean, they were perfectly capable. So that whole rescue thing, I think we minimize how difficult that can be to rescue someone who is hanging there. So you, um, that was the first time you guys had done that mock This rescue, was the first time I had space. been through this drill, yeah. First time you do something, everybody's what, all thumbs? Oh, absolutely, it was horrible. You don't have the right equipment, you don't, yeah. you, you learn, it's just like, you know, with age, you learn what to have in the toolbox in your truck, mm -hmm. and um, man, we, we talked about that in depth yesterday, and people's plans are deficient. You know, the evolution of fall protection training was huge. Oh my, I mean that, and then inspections and then the progression from lanyards to self-retracting lifelines. And now having the right self-retracting lifeline mm -hmm. and educating people on orthostatic intolerance, the effects, the health effects on your body uh, and rescue. I asked everybody, yesterday and I have for years and people kind of just look at you and I have a rescue plan, sure, but it's very, very basic. Right. And, um, I asked, um, companies probably 10 years ago, do you have a rescue plan? One out of 50 had it. I was impressed with that company. So I said, let's practice. And Jeff, it couldn't be more basic than this. So anyways, long story short, we practiced and it failed. Nobody mm -hmm. got hurt. Mm -hmm. I was the one that, you know, was hanging there. Um, I've done it with fire departments and um, rescue teams at a big, you know, at an ethanol plant. Every time, I wouldn't say that it failed, but we found out we didn't have some of the right equipment. Sure. It could have been as easy as a carabiner or sure. something like that. Or we have this rope rubbing on an edge, and it's that's that's not not good, right. not good, right? Um, so having the right tools there and practicing it, it is very very important, and I think we're going to see more of that. Good. In the next couple of years. Moving in that direction. Good. Yeah. And the industry obviously has uh, addressed the need for rescue type of equipment. As you said, there's like a rescue SRL. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other types of rescue. Back in the day, it just used to be a winch, you know, and you would try to hook someone up and winch them back up or whatever, they, or lower them to the ground or something. So obviously the industry has been incredible about addressing those needs with, you know, with the, with the new uh, equipment coming online. So that's cool, right? I mean, yeah, it has changed. I think everybody, um, well, if I need to be rescued, I'll call 911. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in shock because they're going to get there and go, what? we don't have the equipment. Right. For that. It depends on what it is. I mean, is this person right. 10 foot off the ground and you just can't reach them? So you wait 25 minutes and all this blood's gone down in your mm -hmm. legs and all these bad things and blood clots and firefighters get there and they kind of look around the job site and they go grab a ladder that was 20 foot away from the person that was suspended there. You know, so it's just educating people, you know, and what to do. Like yesterday we talked about um, the different stages and with so, like the class A SRL, it's a two foot deceleration distance. Mm -hmm. So people are falling in scissor lifts and either not even falling out. So there you just eliminated the right. the need for a rescue. Otherwise, what if I fell over um, the, the top rail? Mm -hmm. Could I rescue myself? Now, a guy like you, you got some guns on you. You'd have a better chance at doing that. I might not be able to, but it depends on what I ate for lunch. 
Um, but if at I, least if I could find my way back through the tears, <laughs> as, I cried, as I cried like a baby hanging there, probably. <laughs> Grown men cry in situations oh, like that, for sure. Yep. Otherwise, um, get me a ladder, get me a scissor lift or a JLG. But then what if that doesn't right. work? Well, that's it. That's exactly right. And if you don't practice, you know, I, it's inevitable that it's going to, there's going to be something that you didn't consider. But you fell you from know. a surface with now devices that are only allowing you to go feet. So you're only a few feet away. We have that rest- vastly improves your likelihood of getting back into that basket or back onto that platform. And chances are you're only, you know, the falls are happening. We looked at the statistics yesterday. I think it was, you know, 20, 30% were six to 10 feet mm-hmm. off the ground. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, 10 to 18 was maybe the next big category. Right. But it's not like these falls and people are being suspended up you know, 60 feet or right. 300 feet. I mean, that is a those possibility. Are pretty unusual. Yeah. Right. Those are but more those unique. Are pretty rare. Those are pretty rare. I know that back when I was with OSHA, it's been a number of years ago, we had a really bad rash of uh, falls from towers. Do you recall that? It's probably been 10, 15 years ago, maybe. But we had a number of uh, individuals fall from telecommunication towers. Mm-hmm. They were pulling high def antennas or whatever they're you know, working on those towers and some significant falls. I mean, we had a case up in northeast Nebraska where uh, an employee was way up on a tower, hundreds of feet up on a tower, and fell. And they they had no plan for rescuing him. And so... Oh, so it caught. So he's hanging there, waiting. So he's waiting. hanging there on a tower hundreds of feet in the air. Now, uh, as we heard, you know, with OSHA, after the fact, once we were contacted, like the next day maybe... They had contacted the nine one one, of course, the local volunteer fire department that has no ability to rescue somebody under those circumstances, and they had notified the uh, high angle rescue team out of Lincoln, Nebraska, which was then airlifted up to this location. So ten hours later, um, they're arriving on scene, and now they've got to climb this tower. I mean, these guys have to climb up the tower. And then lower the individual down, you know, and I think based on the length of a rope, they're able to lower him in 100-foot increments or something, gradually down a 1,200-foot tower or something. I mean, the the individual was dead. I mean, and I I don't think it was Mm. due to this. I think he was killed at the time of the incident. And then they basically just lowered and recovered his body. So... But it just goes to show you that, I mean, I mean, if this guy actually needed medical care, it wasn't happening. Wouldn't it be different in that situation if he, he fell and um, he hit his head? Or if there was mm. trauma, there's absolutely nothing you could do, even if you had all the equipment there. But right. if it came down to he died in motionless suspension, if he would have had something to buy him time, these, these suspension trauma straps mm-hmm. on the side of the harnesses mm-hmm. that you, that you can stand in that alleviate release that pain from your legs. Right. Those allow you to contract your muscles. And then you could, it's easier because now you have mm-hmm. a platform, something mm-hmm. to stand on. So, you know, Doug, if we, you know, if we looked at all the injuries and fatalities, I mean, they're preventable. I mean, in, in that case, if he, they say they did everything correctly, but he fell and hit his head or he had trauma to his leg or internal bleeding or whatever else, that's different. That, yeah. that would just be a freak accident. Right. And you could throw it into that category, accident versus incident. But 
we've got to have, you know, dot and I's and cross and T's, giving him the proper training, you know, the equipment, the best equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. why? That's not, you know, somebody wants to buy, say, a class B SRL and we have a class A and it's, same price or a little bit more, why wouldn't you? Let's reduce. Just reduce that fall distance, absolutely. Because that takes that person falling in a scissor lift and staying inside of the scissor lift as opposed to going outside, right. and now right. there's, there's no rescue. It changes everything. Yeah, it changes everything. Yeah, that's exactly right. So having the right equipment, doing everything that we possibly can, because nobody wants, you know, the whole getting a hold of the spouse or just feeling right. terrible. What was somebody telling me? he was there when somebody got hurt and he goes, I still have nightmares. And I'm like, how long has it been? 12 years. Really? Like seeing something like that, that you don't shake that. Yeah, no. That doesn't. No, I wouldn't think so either. And I think you've, you talk to firefighters and, and police officers and these people coming up to a scene an accident and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, people, you know, fatalities that, that, that does not leave. Yeah. your memory anytime no, soon. I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure there are lots of safety professionals out there that are haunted by some of these things. You know, what could we have done differently? What should we have done differently? You know, that's a tough one, man. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's room for improvement. I would say though, very, very impressive. And I, whether it's the big general contractors or even these smaller ones, I always tell the smaller ones, it's easier for you to look good. Um, you know, the bigger ones, they'd say, well, yeah, but they have the financial backing to do all mm -hmm. this stuff. And, you know, so there's pros and cons, but anybody can have a good program. Right. Because some of this stuff doesn't, there's not a whole lot of cost to it. I mean, in every, you know, the inspection process, mm -hmm. that doesn't cost you much, some time, mm -hmm. you know, but um, training, mm -hmm. very little cost associated with that, getting the proper equipment. Right you know, for a big company, but so that's a great question. Oh, so that brings me to a question, man. I'm sorry to interrupt. No. You. So, um, what's the deal with the, um, you know, the, the age, the expiration date on the equipment, there, there've been some letters of interpretation on that, or at least I think letters actually from the manufacturers themselves that have come out and said that, that if a piece of equipment has a, has a kind of an expiration date on it, a, a harness, for example, mm -hmm. Oftentimes, we're not even taking it out of the bag until it's close to that expiration date. So if it passes an inspection by a competent person, we can continue to keep it in service or something to that effect. I don't want to put you on the spot here and just say, you know, I know there's no all the time it, answer, but is that true? Is that a it's, true statement? It's gray. So when I started doing this in 07, it was, it was still... It was still um, five years. Yeah, take it out of service. Take right? it out of service. It the date and you, you know, throw it away. I'd be it on, yeah, I'd be on job sites and guys, you know, walking by me with holes and tears and things missing, and I'm like, "What are you doing? Yeah. You can't wear." It. And he goes, "Wait, it's three years old. I got two left." Oh right. So very, very confusing. And the, and I think it was between, um, you know, employers and employees saying this, this none of this makes sense. Mm -hmm. So all I know, I don't know how it exactly happened. Most manufacturers said, you know, we're going to get rid of the five year. It's just confusing too many people. Right. If you fall in a harness, it's all taken out of service. Okay. Now, some of it can be recertified like your self-retracting lifeline, okay. some of them. And then um, any defects. So user um, looks at it before he puts it on for the day. There's something wrong with it. It doesn't pass inspection. So 
And then the competent person, the annual inspection by the competent person. So you're taking out a service if somebody fell or if there's something wrong with it. Okay. You can have a harness. Matter of fact, I showed you know the class yesterday. I have a harness from 1973, mm -hmm. brand new. Was in the bag. I took it out of the bag. Mm -hmm. Could I still wear that today? I could. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would wear it. Sure. Yeah. Why would you? But, you know, and I didn't really, th I, I knew that But it people, would pass an inspection, it sounds like, right? It would. It's brand new. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, getting through this, and I get it now, and I guess I'm feeling a little, you know, sympathetic towards users and even safety people. This is my world. This is what I live in. This is what I know. And um, But it's it'd be easier if it was black and white. It's not. Yeah, it's and I don't not. think it's ever going to be that way. I, I doubt it. I would agree. And especially, you know, you think when OSHA tried to um, say, okay, residential construction, there's 45 deaths a year. We're going to finally enforce this. Mm -hmm. There there was groups flying to D.C. trying to fight it and oh. saying infeasibility. And Oh, my gosh. I remember that well, man. That was brutal. That's a whole different episode. Yes. But I remember back in 2010 when they dropped the um, interim guidelines for fall protection and residential construction. OSHA basically said that the residential sector was going to have to comply with the same standards that the commercial guys were following. Uh, we went around the state and uh, explaining that to all the home builders and framers and roofers, and uh, that was not met with great enthusiasm. No. Were you threatened ever? All, all the time. I was once. I, I, yeah, I'm like, I was, I'm not OSHA, and then I'm, I'm giving them the your number to call yeah, you and no, threaten. No, no. You know, I'm kidding. Well, thank you for that, because yeah. <laughs> I can remember going out to, well, one of the associations here in town hosted a meeting for me to come and speak. It was a, a weekday evening, probably about 7 o'clock in the evening. Uh, they'd had open bar that afternoon. So when I got there, there were probably 150, 200 guys there. They'd all had a couple of beers. They were all waiting to hear about how OSHA was going to ruin their livelihoods, you know. Mm. And so all these guys sat down in this room, and I stood up in front, and I explained the changes and what that meant. Uh, it was not well-received. Um, I, I never gave a presentation like that without a, a door behind me. Because <laughs> on more than one occasion, um, I, I had to just leave hastily. Yes, yeah. I mean, they were rough, man. It's like being and, a ref at a football game when oh, something went it was brutal. south. Yeah, yeah. and they just start. The helmets are flying. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, these guys are just, I'm, you know, I'm telling them that that was back when they, they used to allow uh, the uh, – the, uh, we used to call them slide guards, the, you know, the roof jacks, you know, you could put those at the eave and that was an acceptable oh, sure. yeah, yeah. method of fall protection in under the interim guidelines. Well, that went away as a primary mm -hmm. means of fall protection once those guidelines were dropped. And so the guys that had just started doing that finally were now being told that that wasn't enough any longer. They'd have to actually use fall protection, put in an anchorage and the whole bit, you know, and, uh, man, it was, it was brutal. I took a lot of crap for that. But you know what? We got, we got to, there's change is inevitable. Yeah. Well, the regulations are going to change. And like oh, I yeah. said, now it's not even about that. It's about, you know, best, best practice. You go on a job site, you said a lot of these big companies yeah. were saying, oh, that's great. That's what OSHA says. This is what we say. If you want right. to do work here, this is how you're going to do it. And that's leading kind of right. the industry right now. I, I, I hope so too. You know, we're seeing that more and more. I think some of the big general contractors, have adopted that approach, you know, we are going to do whatever it takes to make it safe. It's not just about being compliant. It's about being safe. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully the 
the uh, subcontractors and smaller GCs and folks will just follow suit, you know. And as long as guys like you are out there kind of, you know, leading the charge, hopefully that, you know, we'll be able to get the educational piece in place and um, get the equipment that they need, the right equipment in the right place. And hopefully we'll continue to see improvements. So it's happening. Yeah, man. Well, Jeff, I think we're out of time. Uh, thanks again, as always, for coming in. Uh, your, your expertise and insights are always appreciated. Um, I think your contact information is on my website. So if people are in, interested in getting a hold of you, they know how to reach you. And uh, those of you that are out there doing this, um, again, we, we appreciate how complicated this can be, that it is not black and white. So hopefully the information Jeff gave you today will help you in some of your decision making or at least, you know, give you food for thought. You know, things to think about going forward, and uh, we'll just continue to fight the good fight out there. So, Jeff, thanks a lot, man. You got it. Talk to you later. All right. A Parkville Media Production. <laughs>